And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. Uh, if I don't know you, if you don't know me, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at Village. I lead our congregation over in, in South, um, and it's good to be back here after only two weeks. I think it was like a full year since I was here, and then I've been back twice in two weeks, so uh, that's great. Um, do keep your Bible open at Hebrews chapter 13, because that's where we're going to be for the next while. Um, I'm not going to lie to you, we got a six-point sermon this morning, so that's like two for the price of one. So, uh, But lucky for you... Uh, there's another service after this. Second service, guys, I can go as long as I want, but this one I have to wrap up. Um, I do want to mention just, uh, Thomas mentioned the Belong class. I don't know if this is any of you in this room, but I'll say it anyway. This is when we explore what church membership is. Um, and uh, church membership is really important to us at Village uh, for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because we, we believe we see it in the Bible, um, this deep commitment to one another. Um, and then I'm not going to give the class now, actually. I almost went into it there. I won't do that. But, but also because we live in, this, uh, we live in a, a non-committal society, don't we? Um, uh, one of our core values, I'm going to mention this in a few minutes, is church is family. Uh, and actually, you, you make a commitment to your family through birth or through marriage, and it's kind of like this. We want to commit to this local expression of Jesus' body. So if you've been around Village for a while and you've never explored what committing to the church looks like, this is for you. If you come along to this class, it doesn't mean that you're going to be committed for the next 10 years. It's not like that. It's that you can come and explore what belonging to our church looks like, uh, and the joy of belonging to our church, and the responsibility of belonging to our church, and it's a great, great thing, and we believe that it's how we can express true love for one another through membership. So if that's you, register online next Sunday night in here, um, and it'll be a good time together. 
Okay, so let's get into Hebrews, um, the end of Hebrews. We're almost at the end of this sermon. Um, we, we've been saying the whole way through that we believe that this is a sermon that was then probably then written down and passed around all these churches and so on. Um, we've been talking about this idea the whole way through that Jesus is better. That's really what the, the preacher of this sermon is trying to communicate. And in this last section that we've, we've been in, we're, we're, we're looking at this idea that Jesus gives us a better way to live. So we looked at all these examples of faith. Uh, and how we can, uh, if we believe that Jesus is better, we live by faith, we live by commitment to him. And we're right at the end of this sermon now. And I was thinking it's like, you know, when I was a kid, uh, at the end of the sermon, you start like shifting your seat a wee bit. You can nearly smell the roast in your, you know, in your mind. Um, I can't imagine that's what's, that's what's going on here. And this preacher, he's, he knows his time with, with this church that he dearly loves is nearly up. Uh, but before he finishes, he has to leave them with absolutely no doubt that what he has been saying up to this point should change their lives, should impact how they live. It's almost as if he's saying, listen, if you've been sitting here under this sermon uh, and, and you've been listening, but it doesn't, you don't leave here and you're not impacted, it doesn't impact your life, then you haven't heard a word I've said. Because if Jesus really is better, better than everything you've been building your hope on, better than everything you've been scared of, better than everything that's been tempting you to fall away from him or, or leave the faith, if Jesus really is better, then your life will be changed. He wants to show them that there is one correct response to everything he's taught them about Jesus the whole way through, and that is a life of worship. The correct response to the Jesus who is better is a life that's given over to him in every aspect. A life where no parts are off limit to him. That's why we started back in, uh, Laura uh, started back in, in verse 28 of chapter 12. I'm going to read it again. It'll be on the screen as well. But uh, that's why I say keep your Bible. It's a good idea to bring your Bible to church um, because we're going to do this. We're going to read and preach and teach from the Bible. But this is what verse 28 and 29 of chapter 12 say. It says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and thus... Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. In other words, because we've received from God a kingdom that cannot be shaken, a future that is completely secure, an inheritance that can never and will never be taken away from us, there's only one response, acceptable worship. Acceptable worship. In response to all that we've seen through Hebrews, in response to the Jesus who is our great high priest, our eternal hope, our perfect and once and for all sacrifice for sin, the Jesus who, uh, through whom we have access into the very throne room of heaven, the only correct response is worship. When you think about it, what else is there? Acceptable worship, he says. And so we need to ask then, in light of such an amazing God, in light of, in light of Jesus who is better, what is acceptable worship? And here's the answer we get in Hebrews 13. Acceptable worship is whole life Christianity. Acceptable worship is whole life Christianity. It's faith in the everyday. It's living in such a way that gives every part of our lives over to God. Now, when I was growing up, um, and my mom still has this in her house, we had a good room. Anybody have a good room? Is that kind of like our parents' generation? I'm not sure. But now, 
I think it's a very Northern Irish thing as well. I don't know, but the, you know, it had all the best stuff in there. Our good room even had the best TV. I mean, why put the best TV in the room you can't be in except on Christmas Day? Um, but that was reserved for the visitors. It had all the nicest carpet, all the nicest curtains, the most comfy sofas, all that kind of stuff. It was never messy. In fact, the mess of everyday life was, was, was kept away from that room. And when visitors came, they were shown into the, 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 the good room, and they were allowed to eat in there. We weren't allowed to eat in there, but the visitors were allowed to eat in there, have their cup of tea or whatever. And then after they left, they were ushered, ushered out again. Now, here's my point. Is this how we treat Jesus? Is church like the good room of our lives? where uh, he, he, we, we let Jesus into this good room area of our hearts or of our lives, and then we don't let him into any other areas of our lives. Because I think this is sometimes what I try to do with him. So we have this time and space set aside every week where we come to gathering, and that's our space for Jesus. And it's like we show him into the good room because we don't bring our sin in here, no way. We don't bring our messiness in here. Or when we get together through the week with our missional communities. Well, that's kind of like the, the good room too. But what about the rest of our lives? What about the times when we aren't with our church family? I want to ask us right at the outset this morning, does Jesus have access to your whole life? If you're a Christian this morning. Because we need to grasp that there's no such thing as half-heartedly following Jesus. I truly believe that if, you, if we're not giving Jesus everything, we're not giving him anything, really. The Jesus who is better deserves and demands whole life worship. This means that worship isn't just about singing Christian songs, although that's great and we're commanded to do that and that's a brilliant thing to do. It's not just about being at our, our, our prayer meeting on Zoom every other Monday, although that's great and we're commanded to do it and we should do it. When we, we, we truly worship God, we give our whole lives over to him. We don't just keep him in this tiny portion, the good room. And we see this whole life worship played out in six ways in Hebrews 13. And the first, first thing we see in whole life worship, we are to be loving. He says in verses 1 to 3, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For some have entertained angels unaware. We actually see this back in the Old Testament in Genesis. Abraham actually has tea with angels. He doesn't even realize. Good thing he didn't skimp on the tea that day, you know. Verse 3, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Now, I think it's no surprise that the preacher starts with our love for others. Because arguably, there's no, more, there's no more important, visible aspect of our Christian lives than our love for others. Actually, in 1 John chapter 4, John says, if someone says, I love God, but hates his fellow believer, that person's a liar. In other words, he said it's impossible to, to say, it's impossible to love God and not love others. And this starts with our need to love our brothers and sisters. Let brotherly love continue. This, uh, if you want to learn a bit of Greek this morning, this is the word that you all know. It's Philadelphia, like the cheese, right? Philadelphia cheese, remember that way. It's, it's this love that exists between family members. 
You know that you're just born and, and you love them. Even my, our kids are six and three, and you know sometimes they're baiting lumps out of each other, but they love each other, and you can just see that the way they cuddle and they hug and they, they mess around. This is what brotherly love is. It's it's a love that exists between uh, it's a love that exists between you and your brothers and sisters, or you and your parents. And this makes sense, doesn't it? Because family is what we are. As Christians, if you're a believer this morning, then you've been adopted into God's family, right? So we have, we've been adopted into his family. He is our father, and therefore, we are brothers and sisters. That's not, church's family isn't just a catchy phrase. It's, it's not just a, a good hashtag. It, it's, it's far more than that. I want to put it to you this morning that church as family is a deep, deep theological truth. So the people who are in your missional community, look around this room this morning. The people in this room around you this morning will be your brothers and sisters forever and ever. That's an incredible thing. And so continuing to love each other in this way, this this Philadelphia is vitally important. And so we need to ask ourselves, by the way, while we're on this first one, I just want to say this. Each of these six things that we're going to see this morning, I'm, I'm very much preaching to myself. I just want you to know that because I don't want you to come up here and uh, think, that I'm, or think that I'm saying that I've got all this nailed. I'm not. I'm preaching to myself. It's a really hard sermon for me to prepare because I was so challenged by it. So the challenge is, do we love our brothers and sisters? And I'm not t- just talking about emotion. I'm talking about real love, love that shows up in our practical and our spiritual and our emotional care for each other. Just this week, uh, me and Haley experienced um, Philadelphia in a, a, in a real practical way where we had a need um, that seemed impossible for us to meet and our brothers and sisters provided for us. Mirac- for us, that's Miraculous. And here's the thing, because we, we kind of tend to walk around like this, looking in ourselves, don't we? <laughs> I mean, maybe not physically. You should probably go see a chiropractor if that's you, <laughs> like this. Laura's over there. Um, a physio, yeah, physio, physio, Northdown physio. Um, <laughs> we plug, that's for free. Um, but we, we, we focus on ourselves, because we're so busy and we have our own needs and we have our own sin and we have our own worries and we focus on ourselves or maybe we focus on our own little family unit or whatever it might be. But uh, whenever, whenever we give in to self-focus and self-concern, brotherly love is the first thing to go because it's easy to say, well, actually, I've got too much on my plate to go and help them move house or I've got too much on my plate to go and listen to their problems or, you know, I've got stuff of my own going on or actually, well, I've got to pay my bills this month so I can't be generous to their needs. But God says, let brotherly love continue. This is pleasing to God, and it's a right response to being loved by him. And I've really got to speed up if I'm going to get through all these. But we're also called to love strangers too, right? Uh, There's not many greater demonstrations of the gospel, I think, than, than love for the stranger, than welcoming strangers into your home. Because isn't this what God has done for us? That's what God has done for us. We were strangers from God. He welcomed us into his family through Jesus. And so we should do the same for others. And it's not just theoretical, it's practical. Is there a seat at your table for strangers, for anyone in need? Is your home a place of hospitality? This is one of the true marks of worship. 
Uh, there are lots of uh, newly married couples in village, even in the East. Uh, by the way, in South, I'm doing five weddings this year. It's crazy. Um, had one yesterday. It was great. But, but th- if you're a young married couple, getting married, whatever, think about this. How is, my home, how is our home going to be? Is our door going to be open or is it going to be closed? We should welcome strangers as Christ has welcomed us. But he doesn't stop there. Our, our love should be extended to those in prison. Or, or those who are oppressed or in need. Those that verse 3 says, uh, he calls them the mistreated ones. They're mistreated. And you're thinking, what, prison? Are you crazy? Mistreated people? This is too far. I, I, I'm not in contact with those people. Here's what I want to say. I guarantee you, if we ask God to open our eyes to the mistreated people around us, he will show us to them. And we can do this in all kinds of ways. What about instead of walking past that person begging in the street? You know, you do that thing, you're trying to avoid eye contact. Don't talk to me, don't talk to me, don't talk to me. I mean, I'm saying it, we all do it. You know you all do it. Maybe you don't, and if you don't, good for you. How about we stop and ask them their name and see how we can help? What about fostering or even adopting children who are born into difficult circumstances? What about volunteering to visit elderly people in your neighborhood or, or getting involved with something like prison fellowship. Grace is right here. Actually, actually do what this says. Do the hard things. Turn this city upside down with the grace of Jesus. Wouldn't that be something special? He's not just saying these things. He's not just saying, oh, here, I've got to leave and here's some instructions. He's saying, let brotherly love continue. Is Jesus allowed into our relationships with others or do we just keep him in the good room? Because whole life worship means that we are to be loving. Next one, we are to be pure. Verse four, he says, let marriage be held in honor among all. Okay, not just the married people, okay, single people. This is for you too. Let marriage be held in honor among all and, and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Now, how has this got anything to do with worship? But this is so relevant in our culture, isn't it? If there's one thing our, our culture, culture, culture celebrates above other things, it's sex, isn't it? Last week when I was uh, preaching this sermon in, in South, um, we had a gallery like this where all the kids were out. But then in the second one, uh, there was a visitor there with three kids. And I had to talk about sex. And it was really hard. because I, So I kept saying it a lot. <laughs> so it was really strange. <laughs> but listen... Here's why he's going after sex here and marriage and singleness and sexuality. Because when sex and marriage and singleness and sexuality are practiced in God-honoring ways, then they become powerful proclamations of the gospel. In sexual and marital fidelity, we reel against the world's destructive tendencies towards infidelity and promiscuity, things that just lead to hurt and pain. Never satisfy I love doing weddings. And we, we talked about this in the wedding yesterday. Committed marriages that honor and serve and are faithful to the other are beautiful pictures of the gospel of Jesus who honors and serves and is faithful to us. In the context of a faithful marriage, sex becomes an act of worship where each other's needs are met and union is completed. 
A faithful marriage has the power to reclaim the value of sex. Not just, uh, not just it's the opposite of the, the throwaway commodity that the world says it is. And in the same way, when single people honor God through chastity, it screams at the world that Jesus is far more important and offers far more joy and satisfaction than relationships and sex ever can. Now, we don't like to talk about sex. Uh, We don't like to talk about what the Bible says about sex anyway. It makes us uncomfortable. We know it puts us on the outside. We know it seems old-fashioned and even cruel to the world, but sexual purity is acceptable worship to God. Sexual purity, healthy singleness, and faithful marriages are pleasing sacrifices to God. And so I wonder... Are are, are we willing to let Jesus into even this area of our lives? Are we willing to even give our sex lives to God? And I'm not trying to be crude. I'm really not. I just want us to see whole life worship means whole life worship. Thirdly, we are to be content. Verses 5 and 6, he says, Keep your life free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. For he has said, God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, you see how this works? God says to you, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so there's a response from us, which is, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, as if talking about sex isn't enough, he goes after their money as well, right? The two biggest idols of our culture, (laughs) sex and money. We live in such a materialistic society where the message is, is buy more, spend more, consume more. I truly believe that materialism is the, the religion of our, of our culture. And if you don't believe me, uh, I did some digging around and I found uh, some statistics. During the COVID pandemic, so from January 2020 to 20, January 21, uh, online sales grew in the, U, in the UK grew by 74%. And only 20% of that was accounted for the closing of the the high street during the lockdowns. In other words, what I'm saying is in in, in a time of uncertainty and difficulty and fear, what do people turn to for comfort and hope? Shopping, spending, stuff. I'm guilty of it too. Amazon man at our house flat out. The message of society is, don't be content with what you have. So what then can be a more powerful message than doing the exact opposite of what Hebrews 13 verse 6 says, be content with what you have. Verse 5, I should say. Our contentment isn't in how much money we have or how much stuff we own. Our contentment's in God, isn't it? Now listen. We've seen the whole way through Hebrews that God is good. And so we can trust him when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can be totally content. This is a promise to us, his people this morning. I will never fail you nor forsake you. Our future is secure. And God will bring us there no matter what. And so we don't have to worry about how we can get more money or more stuff. The riches we treasure 
are the riches that last for eternity, the riches of deep relationships, of fruitful service to God, of loving his word and serving his people and sharing the gospel. Those are the things we treasure. Being content with what we have, being content in the Lord means not being consumed with having too little or getting more money. We trust we are where we are because God has put us there. You have your job, whatever job you do, you have your job not to make money, but because God has put you there because he wants you to be a Christian there. That's why you have your job. And God provides what you need. And for most of us, that means that God provides what we need uh, through a paycheck. But if we see it this way, then we realize that whatever money we do get or do have is not our money. It's God's money, right? And if it's God's money, then we're free to use it in God-honoring ways, knowing that, that he'll never leave us or forsake us. So we can be generous, we can be giving, we can be free, not stingy and hoarding and counting every penny. If God has control of our money, we'll be content, and so we'll neither be um, miserly nor will we be frivolous. Both of those things are worldly wisdom, Okay. Both of those things are things that the world tells us to do with our money. Hoard it up or, or, or go and, you know, max out your credit cards. But, but if, if we are content, if we know that Jesus is better, then we will be wise with our money according to the kingdom of God. And so you're willing to let Jesus out of the good room and into your money life? That's a tough one. Whole life worship means being content. Being content with what you have, knowing that, that God will never leave us or forsake us. Next one. Whole life worship means that, that we will be Bible-centered. I struggle with what to call this one. Word-centered, truth-centered, Bible-centered, uh, all these different things, and it's all kind of summing up the same thing. And we see this in verses 7 to 9. He says, remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God. Now, what he's talking about here, he's saying probably the people who came and planted the church, whatever, whatever church this is, somewhere around Rome, we think. It's definitely in Italy. And he's saying, remember the, the people who brought the gospel to you. And he goes on, he says, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by food, which have not benefit, benefited those devoted to them. Uh, there's a term in cycling. Had to get one cycling reference in. There's a term in cycling that you might have heard or might not have, but it's this word bonk, okay? And it's, it, what, a, what a bonk is, is it's basically like if you don't take on enough calories uh, and energy during a long ride, it means you run out of energy and, and you... You basically collapse the side of the road. And it's happened to me, and it's horrible. Um, this is why cyclists, if you watch cycling on TV, just always pounding, like, uh, you know, bars and drinks into them. And the author of Hebrews is telling these Christians that they need to keep on taking in spiritual nourishment if they are to be sustained. So the question is, what will we be sustained by? And I think we can sum these verses up, verses 7 to 9, sum them up, something like this. Truth leads to grace, and grace leads to strength. False teaching leads to false devotion. And false devotion leads to emptiness. The author of Hebrews is saying, don't forget the word of God that you first received. 
Hold on to that. Look at those guys who came and preached the gospel to you. Imitate their faith. They relied completely on the word of God, and so should you. There is nothing else. It's like when, when Jesus, uh, he, he's doing some teaching around difficult things, actually around his body and his blood, his sacrifice. And all the crowds disappear. They say, that's too hard for us. And he turns to the 12 and he says, are you not going to leave too? And Peter, Peter says, probably one of my favorite sentences in the whole Bible, two sentences, he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Why on earth would we go anywhere else? This sentence in verse 8 that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that's not just something that is, we see on church walls. It's not just, he doesn't throw that in here. What he's saying is, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Philosophies change. Opinions change. Even science changes. We're actually in a, a period right now of, of massive and, and rapid philosophical change, which is leading to scientific change. It, it really is. The way we think about the world and ideals have changed so much in the last 10 years. Think about the conversation that has has rapidly, sometimes for the good, but mostly not for the good, around gender. But you know what? Jesus never changes. It's the gospel message that brings us to salvation, and we need it because it's also the gospel that that sustains us in the Christian life. If I can put it crudely, I, I will say this, the gospel saves us and the gospel sustains us. There are so many false teachers out there, things that would lead us in a million different directions. And listen, we're all being taught by them. We're being taught by the opinions we see in the news by the adverts on TV, by the social media. That was a really old-fashioned way. I sounded older. The social media. I didn't mean that. I mean, I do use, I do have a phone and everything. It's, you know. But we all, we're getting bombarded by all these opinions, all these different teachings. And if we're not getting our teaching from Scripture, we're getting it from other places. Honestly, I think that most Christians from this generation, when I say this generation, I don't mean my generation or the one above or the one below. I mean all three of those. But in this generation, get more of their opinions about God and life from social media than they do from the Bible. Now, maybe that struck a chord with you because it certainly struck a chord with me. So we need to ask, who or what is teaching you? Where are you getting your leading from? Who are the voices you're listening to? There's an American author called Fran Leibowitz, um, and she's not a Christian, but she famously said, in fact, New York Library, New York Public Library uses their slogan now. Um, She said, uh, think before you speak, read before you think. It's not just a powerful message for Christians. She's not a Christian. She wasn't saying about the Bible, but this is exactly what we need to do with the Bible. We need to be word-centered if we're going to be sustained. We need, to, we need to come to the Bible, return to the Bible before we uh, form our opinions about these things. Lord, what are you saying about this situation in life? What are you saying about this conversation that's going on? And when we, if we're not word-centered, if we're trying to, to go elsewhere, the false teaching, what does that lead to emptiness? We'll end up running out of energy and just falling over. But when we keep returning to the Word of God, we find that, as verse 9 says, we'll be strengthened by grace. Isn't that just the most lovely phrase? 
Let's be strengthened by grace. We return to the Word of God, and it's like just coming back to this fountain that never stops flowing. You just drink from it. Fill your water bottles up and keep going. Just keep coming back to it. Strengthened by grace. Can we please remember this amazing phrase, strengthened by grace? It's like to get our sustenance for the journey is not even a struggle. It's, it's God's grace to us that never stops flowing. Be strengthened by grace. Be, be, imagine if we became truth-remembering, Bible-reading, Bible-believing, Word of God, sustained people who are strengthened by grace. Isn't that what we desire for our lives? That's what I want for my life. Usually when I'm spiritually or emotionally hungry, I, the Bible isn't a place I go to. I have to confess, it's, it's TV or it's social media or sport. But what if, what if we return to the Bible again and again and we're strengthened by His grace? Next, whole life worship means that, that we should be bold. Let's read verses 10 to 14 again. It'll be on the screen as well. He says, We have a, an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. He's talking about the Old Testament here. He's been doing this the whole way through. He's talking about the Jewish system of the, the, the tent is the tabernacle, and they're still offering these sacrifices. And he's saying, Our altar isn't a physical one. Verse 11, he said, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And what he's talking about, he's, in the Old Testament, uh, the, the sacrifice for sin on, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, every, every year, the, the sin sacrifice was uh, taken outside of the camp and destroyed, burned with fire. And the reason they did, was, uh, did that was because the, the sin of the people was symbolically put on that animal, and then the sin was taken away from the people as a, as a symbol of their, of their uh, sin being removed from them. And then what he's saying is also that, that Jesus, his sacrifice was offered outside the camp, outside the gates, he says. Jesus carried his cross out through the gates of Jerusalem to the hill called Golgotha, and that's where he died. This is the, the greatest example of extravagant, unselfish love that the world has ever seen. And when he went outside the camp, he endured the cross and suffered his people. We know it was an act of love. Love for us demonstrated and proved completely. You see, for Jesus, loving others led him to be outcast, led him to be sacrificed, led him to the place outside the camp. Loving others for Jesus led him to pain and suffering. And as we've seen over and over again in Hebrews, we are called to follow in the footsteps of our Savior. There's no way of getting around this. Oftentimes, loving others, loving your neighbors, is going to require suffering. It's going to require broken hearts. It's going to require being taken advantage of. It's going to, be, it's going to require being used and abused by people because loving others costs something. And as we follow Jesus, it will take us outside the camp 
to be rejected and persecuted just like he was. That's why he said, bear the reproach he endured. We are called to bear the reproach that Jesus endured. Now listen, are you willing to follow Jesus outside the camp? You see, the camp for for the, the Hebrews was the Jewish faith. I mean, think about this. If you're inside the camp of Israel, you're close to the presence of God. You're protected. You're around people who believe the same as you. You're around people who, who do the same as you. The camp is their religious comfort zone. Are we willing to follow Jesus out of our comfort zones? Are we willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to love and serve others? Are we willing to cross those cultural boundaries? Listen, this building is surrounded by people who largely are from a different cultural background, a different socioeconomic background than most of the people in this room. Are we willing to cross the walkway? What about, what about the, the Roma people of our community, of which there are loads? Are we willing to love and serve them? What about the Muslims in our community, which of which there are loads? Are we willing to cross cultural boundaries to bring the gospel to them, to even bear the reproach that Jesus bore, if that's what he requires of us? What about people from the other side of the orange and green divide of us? If we obey Jesus in this way, this city will be turned upside down by the grace of Jesus. Well, I was really hitting the pulpit there. That's old school. <laughs> I want to notice this, and my time is nearly done, but I want to notice in verse 13, he says, therefore, let us go to him outside the camp. We are commanded to go to Jesus outside the camp. He's not saying go for us. Jesus is not telling us to go somewhere he is not. He's not telling us to do something he hasn't done. He's inviting us to come to him. Jesus is outside the camp with a crown of thorns in his head, with with hands and feet pierced with nails, with his side stabbed with a spear. And he's saying, come to me. So church, are we willing to step out of the luxury of our good room? (laughs) Using that analogy to death. And follow him outside the world. I want to put it to you. It's to the dark places of the world that the path of Jesus leads. You know this. When we follow Jesus, we will be led to the outsiders, to the lonely, to the poor, to the broken, to the needy. I'm not saying that's always about a class thing because there are lots of poor and broken and needy people in middle class and upper class society. But we must be willing to follow him. Jesus is saying, come, follow me. Whole life worship means being bold and stepping outside of the camp. Now finally, we're at our last one. Whole life worship means we are to be worshipful. Um, I'll just read verses 15 and 16 to recap. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. What another great phrase. This guy should be a writer. Um, That was a joke. He is a writer. He's in the Bible. He's published. Um, Verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. These last two verses are, are, are like a summary of everything we've seen this morning. 
You know, he starts, in, he starts by talking about acceptable worship and then this bookend by pleasing sacrifices. And this is what it comes down to, church. This is what you need to take away this morning. The Christian life is a life of worshiping God through what we say and what we do. The Christian life is a life of worshiping God through what we say and what we do. It's about worshiping God with our lips and honoring Him with our lives. Uh, last week I had friend with a coffee. To, I, I, I had friend with a coffee, uh, <laughs> coffee with a side of friend. Um, I had coffee with a friend that I hadn't seen in a long time. And when we sat down outside the coffee shop, we realized it had been ten years since we had had coffee together, and it was great. And lots has changed in that time. And, but I was so pleased to discover that one thing hadn't changed, and that is that that he is someone who is constantly saying, "Praise the Lord." It's almost like every other sentence. I'm convinced that he doesn't even know he's doing it now. It's just so instinctual to him. It's scattered throughout his conversation. Praise the Lord. And I had forgotten just how encouraging it is to be in the presence of somebody who's just saying, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, yeah, my kids are doing well in school. Praise the Lord. Or like, you know, yeah, that was a hard time for us. Praise the Lord. You know, this is the way he talks. And while I was listening to him, I realized that, that he is someone who is, who is just like verse 15 of Hebrews 13, offering up, a, 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 continually offering up a sacrifice of praise. The, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And I wonder, as I left him, I was like, this, I wonder, could that be said of me? Would people say, there's a guy who's always worshiping God. He's always praising God. I wonder, could that be said of you this morning? Are we continually offering up sacrifices of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name? Because if Jesus really is better, if we really grasp what he's been talking about for 13 chapters in Hebrews, if we really grasp the goodness of God, then the praise of his name should never be far from our speech. And this is something we need to get in the habit of practicing. Just saying praise the Lord or whatever it may be to you. Praise the Lord. There's nothing more encouraging than being in the company of somebody who's continually praising God. And even though those words are so important, uh, it's a part of that acceptable worship. It comes down to our actions too. You see, the sacrifices that please God are not worship songs sung in churches or the amount you come to a prayer meeting. Those things are important. But he says, we can't neglect doing good. We can't neglect sharing what we have with those in need. It's a life that worships God with our lips and honors Him with our lives. Every part of our lives. And listen, church, it's through lives lived in devotion to God in the everyday, the muck of the everyday, that the truth of the gospel is proclaimed. The kingdom of God... I've lost my place in my notes. It was going to be good, guys. I was on a roll there. Better than, it's just better to like own these things instead of trying to like fumble around. Um, it's through lives lived in devotion to God that the, that the gospel is, is proclaimed. The kingdom of God is built through the washing of feet, through the feeding of the hungry, through jobs done and careers pursued with integrity, through the outcasts and oppressed being cared for, through strangers welcomed at the dinner table and through God honoring sex lives. These are the sacrifices that God finds pleasure in. These are the acceptable offerings of worship made on the altar of Jesus Christ. We have no lasting city here. 
We seek the city that is to come, the eternal city that Jesus is building. And in the meantime, while we wait for him to come and establish his kingdom forever, we live our lives in ways that honor him. The Christian life is simple. I'm not saying it's easy. It's not easy. It's hard. But it is simple. It's living your life in the ordinary of every day in ways to honor God. I heard someone put it this way. We, um, I heard someone put it this way. We, we read the Bible. We sit in the extra seat at the table. And we wait confidently for a future that is ours. That's, that's what the Christian life is. That's, that's what we are to do. It's not easy, but it is simple. And you might say, isn't this too much? Isn't this too demanding of God? Isn't God asking too much of me here? I almost say, no, it's not. And here's why. Because just in your imagination, just for a second, look outside the city walls and see Jesus, where he is, where he invites us to come to, and see him hanging on a cross, wearing the crown of thorns. See the sacrifice that he offered. See what it cost him to love us. Jesus is so lovely. He is so good that even a life completely and fully dedicated to the worship of him is nothing compared to what we've received in return, compared to what he has given us of himself. The gift of grace and forgiveness and love and eternal life that we receive in Jesus is so beautiful and so amazing and so unending that it deserves a response of complete devotion. Acceptable worship is whole life Christianity. Now listen, I, I realize that some of you, you, you know, you might be here this morning, you're not a Christian, and you're like, well, what does this mean for me? Well, I want you to still look outside the city walls and see Jesus hanging on that cross. Because he, he did that for you, for every single one of us. That's what it cost him to love you. And so listen, maybe you think, well, my life doesn't make much sense. Or maybe you're trying to idolize one of those areas that we've talked about this morning, sex or money or, or whatever it may be. Jesus makes those things make sense. Those things, those things that we strive for make sense in him. So can I please just invite you to just trust in him this morning? You know, we prayed earlier that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he removes our transgressions from us. You trust him, that's what he does for you. And church, I want to finish with this. I know I've gone over time, and I'm sorry. But he said, I want to finish with this. What would it look like if we were a church of loving, pure, content, Bible-centered, bold, worshipful Christians? What would it look like? What would it do for this neighborhood? What would it do for the street that you live in? What would it do for our city? You know, there's this little rumbling of, of praying for revival in our church that's been happening in the prayer meetings. I love it. Let's not pray for it if we're not willing to live it. May we be strengthened by grace as we seek to offer our lives as acceptable worship to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us your Holy Spirit. 
so that we're not on our own trying to strive and, 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 and muster up our faith, but you have actually made your home within us. Father, I pray for anybody who's feeling weak, feeling out of energy. Father, I pray this morning that, that, that we would be strengthened by grace. Lord, I pray for the weak or struggling believer here this morning. Lord, I pray that, that they would just uh, see your goodness and return to you, return and drink from your well, be strengthened by grace. And for anyone who doesn't know you yet, Lord, Lord, make yourself irresistible right now, Lord. I pray that you would be working in all our hearts to return to you, to love you, to trust you, to offer our lives, Lord, as, 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 as whole life worship to you. Lord, there's nothing that we could ever give that would ever compare to what you've given to us. Father, may we be willing to step outside the camp and come to you to offer you our lives no matter what it costs. There's nothing that we can, uh, you're better than, than anything we will ever lose or anything we could ever gain. Help us, Lord. We need your help as we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.